You are listening to Focus, a sermon series by Pastor Bay Allen. It's good to be with you today. Good morning. Uh, Today we are finishing off the series that we have been in called Focus, where we've been spending some time looking at the five areas of focus that were presented to us as the Western Pennsylvania uh, Conference of the United Methodist Church by our Bishop Cynthia Moore-Kakoy. The five areas of focus are to build up future leaders. We are to offer new places for new faces to create new opportunities for ministry. We are to be in true community, which means to be uh, in ministry with the poor as opposed to simply doing something for or to the poor. We are to stamp out killer diseases to improve global health and to do whatever it looks like in our part of the world to make that a reality. And today we are also going to dig in and finalize this series by looking at what it means uh, to experience a diverse city. Yes, I play on words quite a bit. So diversity and a diverse city. Uh, And heaven is actually a rather diverse city, which we will see in our scripture this morning. Um, And so for us to dismantle racism here on earth as it is in heaven is kind of one of the focuses, one of the main focuses of the United Methodist Church in the Western Pennsylvania Conference. So that being said, we're going to dig right in. Um, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bible or an app on your smartphone if you use one of those. We're going to be looking at the very end of the book. We're going back to Revelation. Uh, And before I even hit the scripture, I want to give you some backstory. See, Revelation is one of the rarities in the Bible because it's looking ahead. It's it's almost like... Even though the Bible is kind of in its entirety, it's been canonized and it's here for us, and I don't know that they're going to re-canonize it any time in the near future. Um, I don't see that coming. Revelation is at the end, but it's talking about what's yet to come. And so even the end of the book, you're skipping ahead to the ending, which is kind of an interesting thing if you look at it that way. Um, So we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 7, and we look at verse 9 to 10, which is also on the screen for your convenience. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, all of the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so today's an interesting topic um, because you don't really wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a racist today. And you don't really wake up very often and say, you know, I'm going to battle some racists today. It's not really something that just comes into your mind where you just wake up, you know, make yourself a cup of coffee. And, and it's like, all right, time to hit the road running on this racism thing. If that's you, though, put your hand up. Is that you this morning? I, I'm not even putting my hand up and I'm doing a sermon on racism, which leads me to believe that as a focus of the United Methodist this church, it's a good one. We should look at it a little bit more. And we're going to dig in this scripture from Revelation. It really, it really talks about people from every tongue, you know, all nations, all tribes, all people, all tongue. So it's looking at all people, the way that they kind of branched out ever since Ever since creation, you know, I like to go all the way back to Genesis. So it's interesting that here we are in Revelation. We're looking at every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and we can go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. We can go all the way back to Genesis um, because in Acts seventeen twenty six it says, "He has made from one blood 
every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So we see that at the original creation, God didn't make this race and that race and every which race. There was no race to be run at that point. The race was the human race. When God created mankind, there was just the human race. It wasn't I'm from here or I'm from there. We did that. The more that we caused these divisions and these separations from generation to generation, how there was oppression that took place, how there were battles, there were victories. In every victory that you see throughout history from a war that was waged, there was also a defeat in that same moment. Okay? So through that, there was divisions that took place between humanity, between God's creation as it originally was made one, It's now been divided. So today we're looking at dismantling racism, which means we're dismantling a dismantling because racism in and of itself was a dismantling of what God had done. God had created one race and humankind dismantled it. And now our job as Christians, as people who follow Christ, who Christ said, if you see me, you have seen the Father. And if you have seen the Father, you know, you've seen the creator of the world, the creator of the one race. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to dismantle the dismantling of race that has taken place, if that makes sense. Okay, that may be a little heady, so I'm going to break it down a little bit. When I was a kid, I um, I remember these tests, and some of you may remember them too. They would put they would put maybe these different objects on a on a table. Maybe you would have like a marble, a mirror, um, you know, just like uh, maybe a, a piece of glass, and then over here there was like a, a wooden block. Okay, and, and they they look at them and they say which of these doesn't belong. Okay, so you would look at these these objects and you're like, well, a marble that's made of glass. You know, the mirror that's that's made of glass, and then that is glass. Those all they're all together. The wood block, that's the one, right? That's the one that doesn't fit. And so we were taught this as kids to start looking at the differences instead of, hey, these are all objects. You know, that was in their setup too. Look at these objects, they're all one. (laughs) But then we're called to look at something different. We're called to call something out, to pick it out, and to say that one doesn't belong. We were taught that, I was, as a kid. This doesn't belong. Even if it was subliminal, that's what I was being taught as a kid. I was raised up in this way. And I I started to think about, you know, I grew up in Virginia Beach, and we had a hodgepodge of people. It was a community of wealthy, of poor. I had friends uh, every color of the rainbow. I had uh, friends... um, I had friends that were straight, that were gay. I had friends who were black, who were white, who were Asian, uh, who were Puerto Rican. Uh, I have a friend who's um, over in the Philippines, and she ended up going back there after school. I have friends from all over the globe. I have friends from Africa. I had friends from Spain. Like, they were born there. You know, Virginia Beach was just this hodgepodge of diversity. But even in all of that lovely diversity... As I started thinking about it, this whole question of race today, where they say, they're saying we're racists. This whole question had me thinking back to when I was growing up. And I remember when I started driving, and I worked at the Harrison Opera House that was over in Norfolk, Virginia, and I would travel from Virginia Beach to Norfolk, Virginia. And going there, my aunt lived in Norfolk, aunt, I guess, up here. I should say aunt now that I've been here more than 15 years in Pennsylvania, I guess. Okay. 
but I still say soda too. But my aunt lived there, and my mom taught me when you go through a certain part of town, guess what you do? Lock your doors in your car. What? You can just, I mean, you don't even have to run away. You just push the gas pedal to get away. Lock your doors. And I started thinking about that. This, this neighborhood that I started locking my doors through because I was taught to, what's here? What's here? And I looked around in my mind, remembering the community that I went through every day to work. I went to the opera house where primarily white people came in mostly tuxedos and expensive, expensive outfits that could probably pay an entire month of rent, some of them. And outside on the streets, there were storefronts that had cages. They had cages and they had windows with a little hole where patrons could go and they could not even buy a pack of cigarettes. They could buy a single cigarette. They had it listed on the window, single cigarette. I knew some friends who bought single cigarettes because they couldn't afford the whole pack of cigarettes. And I started thinking about this. I'm looking at this from a social standpoint because I grew up with friends of every color of the rainbow, but I start thinking who is mostly living here? And it dawned on me, they were black. They were black. And I started thinking about this scene from my, from my past. And then I went back even further in our American history. And I started thinking, recently I've really gotten into gospel music. I love the piano playing of like the southern gospel music. The, the little embellishments. I've really gotten into it. And, and, I, and I started looking around and I asked some people online, you know, is there any, any good churches? And they're like, oh, you mean black churches? There it is. The separation, this dismantling of the one race that God created. There it is. Black churches. Why do we still call them black churches? And you can say they call them black churches. Well, you just said they. I mean, how do you get into this discussion? How do we get into this dismantling of what God originally created to be one race? So as, we, as I started thinking on this, you know, about black churches, they originated... We may think it's a good thing because like attracts like, right? Like attracts like. We're kind of super glue people, okay? We like to stick to ourselves. We do the things that are are familiar to us. We hang out with people that look like us, that dress like us, that eat the same meat as us. So that way if we run out and they're skinnier, then we can share and, and all that. That's who we are. We're super glue people. We stick together. And even Genesis, you know, some can argue at at creation, because Pastor Bay likes to go back to Genesis. At creation, you know, God created all this wonderful diversity, but, you know, looking at like the trees and stuff, each according to its kind, it says, it doesn't say that about people. It says that about the other things God created, the creatures that God created, not those who were image bearers of the divine. Okay? So that's a moot point saying that the Bible says each according to their kind. No, we were made as one race in the beginning. God made, not even male and female. That division is even kind of torn apart. Male and female, God made mankind, you know. We are one when we're together. Whatever that division looks like, whether it's male or female, whether it's black and white, whether it's Saudi Arabian and and Japanese, whatever it looks like. 
we are together the way God intended us when we're together. Okay? But we're super glue people. We like to stick to ourselves and thinking on the whole black churches throughout history. Originally in our culture in America, there was a, a, there was a terrible thing that took place. The American slavery, it wasn't like the slavery that, you know, you read the word slave in the Bible. It's different. It was almost an abomination. It was terrible. The things that were inflicted upon a group of people. All around the world, saw, everyone saw it. It's even known as the American slavery. That's how bad it is. Outside of America, it's known as American slavery. Because it's different than the slavery that you see anywhere else throughout history. And black churches originated because when they would come to worship God on Sunday morning, they weren't allowed to sit with the rest of the people. They had to be separated. They had, they had to sit in that, that up, upper section way back in the back, you know. They can't be on the main floor. And eventually, they didn't want to worship God that way. That wasn't the God that they wanted to worship. And so the black church was formed so that they could honestly approach God of creation who created one race. Seems a little counterproductive. They separated themselves. They were already separate. In the presence of God, they were being forced to be separate. That's where the black church originated. Why is it still acceptable? Slavery's gone. I hope. Are there some echoes that still live on? What is going on? Because I hear people say, you know, racism isn't real. Really? Racism isn't real. I'm not a racist. I have a black friend. I go out to eat with him once every six months. He, 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 what kind of music does he like? You know, he, he, he listens to it. What kind of food does he like to eat? It, well, I think he, he eats a Big Mac just like everyone else. Do you really know him? And maybe you do. I'm just throwing this out there for those of you that this message is maybe just for you this morning. And maybe sometimes you hear a message and you're like, that was for me. And sometimes you hear one that's just like, just God's talking to someone else right now if it's not you. Do you really know him? Do you really know your friend? Because people are saying racism isn't real and there's a real thing going on called gaslighting. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. Phrase called gaslighting. It's, it's taken place on the Holocaust survivors. I mean, it's terrible. People who have suffered great atrocities, gaslighting of the Native Americans. You see gaslighting taking place. Gaslighting, um, and this is coming from my friend over in Aliquippa. I pulled this off of a blog, so I'm just going to quote him. His name's Herb Bailey. He runs the Uncommon Grounds Coffee in Aliquippa. Great Christian man of faith, a biker Christian gang leader. Uh, he's, a, he's about that tall. I'm not tall at all next to him. But here's, what, here's how he described gaslighting. It's a form of manipulation that seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, hoping to make them question their own memory, to make them question their perception, even their own sanity. 
Gaslighting is using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction, and lying. It attempts to destabilize the target and delegitimize the target's belief. So you have people that have experienced, and maybe it was their ancestors, but their ancestors experienced something horrible that no one ever was created by God to experience. And as if that weren't bad enough, we have people saying, it's not real. It doesn't exist. It's not real. This is taking place every day. Because people still think that, you know, Jesus was white. We, we see our picture of Jesus, our Savior. He looks like us. He looks a lot like us. We are image bearers of the divine. It's not the other way around. When you came in, hopefully you got one of these little icons. This is a new icon that um, uh, uh, Franciscan brother uh, Robert Lenz, he's, a, he's an iconographer, iconographer. It's a weird word to say. Basically, his entire mission in life is to create artistic things, if you will. They're called icons. Those of you who are accustomed to the Catholic Church, you probably know what these are. They're a connection tool between man and God. In each one, the more you meditate over it, you'll find different details, like how in the crown, it's, it's actually the initials for I am. I am who I am. I am that I am, you know, when they ask God's name. This is Christ, Jesus Christ Liberator is the name of this icon. And I actually posted a video on Facebook for those of you who uh, want to learn a little bit more about the creation of that icon. Originally, he didn't want to make that icon because he was like, Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't African. How do I make an icon of an African Jesus? This is a framed copy that I, that I just, I'm given as a gift to Riverview, so it'll be here. But how can I make an icon of Jesus who is black? Jesus wasn't black, but Jesus wasn't white. How many icons are there where Jesus is white? Jesus wasn't Caucasian. He probably looked more like Osama bin Laden, to tell you the truth. So how can I make it? Well, he started meditating, um, and just to kind of summarize what he said in regards to you know, the battle he was going through to even make this icon, he was thinking on the resurrection and how Christ appeared to, to, to Mary Magdalene. She didn't recognize him. She thought that he was the gardener, right? And she said, can you tell me where they've taken my Savior? You know, I've come to basically pay my respects. Then he spoke to her and she knew, oh, that's Jesus. She didn't even recognize him, okay? Now the disciples, Jesus walks through the wall and he sees the disciples. They know it's him right away. They're like, Jesus. Now you can look at this in different ways. You can look at this like the, the faith of the disciples is, is so great that they saw him. They didn't even need an explanation. They knew it was Jesus. Or you can look at this a different way. What if for Mary, Jesus became someone entirely different? What if Jesus had changed and the disciples weren't yet ready to see Jesus in a different way? It's just a thought. And this is the question that the iconographer proposes too. It's part of the, the foundation of him finding legitimate, a legitimate reason to create an African depiction of Jesus Christ. 
One of the only official icons that have been done in that way. Jesus Christ, liberator. And isn't it funny? We are talking about liberation today. We're talking about dismantling racism, liberating people that have been enslaved throughout history. And the scripture that Jesus Christ liberator holds, if you look at your little icon there, it says, whatsoever you did to the least of my sisters and brothers, you did to me. It doesn't say in that scripture that you did this as if to me. It says you did it to me. There's been a great, just horrible thing that has taken place to the Native Americans in our country, to the African Americans. Even if they didn't experience it firsthand, it's like telling the daughter of a Holocaust survivor that it didn't exist. As the church, we need to make sure that that gaslighting doesn't continue. We need to to help dismantle racism and say, God created us to be one. We need to tear some of these walls down and make some bridges is what we need to do. God made us to be one. How can we get back to that? Well, I'm going to give you just some little action lists, things that you can do even starting today. Again, here's a Jesus as a lot of us have seen him. Notice the similarity even in the icon. Very similar. He has the book open to a page there. That's kind of cool. But what I want you to do, if you're willing to just try and dismantle racism, make a list. You know, again, I meet, I meet people every day who say, you know, I have, I have black friends. I have Asian friends. You know, I'm one of them. I have black friends. I don't hang out with nearly as much as my white friends just because I don't really hang out with anyone. I'm going to be honest with you. But I have black friends. I have Asian friends. Uh, I have Latino friends. Choose, um, choose some of the friends that you have, but I want you to make a list of them that are different than you. We're going back to that childhood test. These are the things that are on the table which are different, but we're going to use it as a tool for good, okay? So I want you, when you get home, Later this afternoon, during the week, close your eyes and picture all of your friends that look different than you. Just look different. That look different. It could be fat and skinny. It could be whatever. Just think any differences, okay? Make a list. Put a hash mark in one of two columns. Basically, at the end, see how many look like you. Think of everyone. If you, as you scan through your friends, hash mark diversity and hash mark like me. Okay, and see which column is heavier at the end. It'd be interesting for you to just see the results. Okay? I'm not going to call it, on Facebook, you could probably call this an are you a racist quiz. We're not going to go there. I just want to see a how, is your, how is your influence quiz. How many people can you influence for Christ that don't just look like you? That's kind of where we're going, okay? The second thing, I want you to just uh, imagine this. Imagine um, maybe, maybe you are someone who says, you know, racism's not a big deal. I have no idea why Pastor Bay's talking so much about this today. Well, it's the title of the sermon. Um, but maybe you're like, why are we talking about racism? Well, it's a hot topic because it's hot, not because it's not, okay? Now, racism does exist. I'm going to let you know. So maybe you haven't experienced it, and God bless you that you haven't, because I turn on the news and see it every day. Um, but maybe you're someone who says racism doesn't exist. I want you to just pretend, role play, 
that your great, great, great grandfather, you know, we hear stories all the time about even great, great grandfather, great father, whatever. They came over and then they built up their empire with a nickel on New York City, right? You hear these stories. Imagine that your ancestor was bought and sold and traded like livestock. For a nickel that someone raised their empire out of. Imagine you didn't come to this country willingly looking for opportunity. Imagine that you were ripped from your home. You were forced to adopt a new religion. And if you, and if you didn't speak about it, then you, if you spoke out about it, you would be beaten for it. Imagine this was you. Maybe it is you. But if not, imagine that it is. How does it make you feel? Embody that. Write a single word down, like angry, bitter, hurt, abused. How does it make you feel? I'm talking about you. Now, that, now in light of that, imagine that the majority of those who have wealth and power and influence today got it by spending their nickel to buy your great grandfather and they passed it along to their children who passed it along to their children imagine they inherited all of this opportunity the world was open towards them but you inherited difficulty oppression a name tag that says when you even try to just go get a job. And you didn't come willingly. Your great-grandfather was ripped out of his home. Yeah, of course you look different. They stole him from halfway across the globe. And sold him like livestock in New York City. Yeah. Imagine that that is you. And just own that for a while. And then let's talk about does racism exist? The third thing I want to leave you with is icons. I gave you a gift. If you didn't get one, please grab one of these. And you may look at it like it's silly now, but this is the only icon of Jesus I have in my house. The only one. I have it framed. And that's why I brought one here. This is the only one that I have. None of them are actually Jesus. But they could be. It could be. And so the last thing in regards to iconograph or iconography, it's such a weird word. They've been around for centuries to help us connect through God. Take this one that I've given you. I have some that I've been given from various people over the over the years. I have one of the Trinity. So I guess, but that one's actually in my office. I don't have that one in my house either. That's in my office uh, down at the Jefferson Street. Icons are a way for us to connect. Just meditate over this. If this seems strange to you, I want you to meet Jesus. Okay? Because as image bearers of the divine, the divine does not bear our image. We are the image bearers. And Jesus 
looks like all of us. Because God made one race. So in the United Methodist Church, it is our final focus to dismantle racism. And I pray that you will not take that challenge lightly. You remember the first week of the series, we talked about building up future leaders. And I said how Jesus was talking with the disciples and saying, let the children come to me. And, you know, the kingdom of heaven is for such as these. Revelation shows us every nation, every tribe, every tongue. This is what heaven looks like. Heaven is a diverse city. Let's see heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Let's work hard to make that a reality. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for the way that you continue to work and break down barriers and you, you tear down walls to create bridges. We, we want to see you. We want to remember that whenever we did anything with the least of these, with our brothers, our sisters, we didn't just do it as doing for you, but we did it to you. That includes the hurtful things. We did that to you. Forgive us where we have fallen and failed and faltered. And project us forward in your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness for the things we have done to you through the various people you have created on this planet throughout the various generations that such atrocities have occurred. Let us own that not as a sinner without hope, but as one who is redeemed in Christ, who has already paid the price for all transgression and all sin. We are washed in your blood. Keep it wet. Keep it wet. Don't let us forget who we are who we are, who you are, as we become more who you originally created us to be, a unified people bearing your image here on earth. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our liberator.